0: welcome to the rural sales show with my dad and host Sinjin craner each week my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level oh and make sure you subscribe or rate us on itunes so you can buy me a motorbike and now here's my dad So this week we have on the show a lady by the name of Chanel O'Sullivan. Some of you might have heard of Chanel. She's a, she's a mover and a groover in ag here in NZ. Um, speaker, blogger, writer, marketer, um, entrepreneur, and a very smart young lady indeed. So we got her on the show, and Chanel in this episode shares her insights around how rural sales people and sales teams and marketing people can really impress rather than uh, ignore rural women. Uh, Chanel was the founder of Farming Mums, which is a Facebook group now that in the last five years has got to 16,000 followers and have about 100 posts and pretty rural ones in there as well um, every single day um chanel's definitely a powerhouse she knows her shit inside out and yeah drops a whole bunch of bombs on um how we need to sell to our sales teams how we need to sell to reward and recognize and respect rural women so if you're looking for a masterclass in how you position a market to rural women who really are the as i've always said the influencer and ceo or cfo of the farming household this is definitely one to listen to so i'll let chanel uh talking as always um Listen, learn, and enjoy. All right, this week we have a lady, a very clever lady by the name of Chanel O'Sullivan. Chanel uh, is a Kellogg uh, alumni, along with me. Had the pleasure of getting to know Chanel many, many years ago. We keep in touch, and I wanted to get Chanel on the show because she, like all of our guests, has got a nice big brain, knows how to use it, um, isn't afraid to share her opinions, her advice. Our insights. So rather than me, rabble on Chanel, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and your story and where you come from.
1: Yeah, sure. So I am currently living in Glenorchy, just outside of Queenstown. Uh, but I actually originated in Auckland and moved out of there when I was about 17, straight into the agri space. Um, and ever since, yeah, it's just been a roller coaster through agri, without a really clear vision of where I'm going, but enjoying the ride, really. Um, Be yeah, Everything from horses, sheep, beef, deer, dairy, marketing in the rural space, uh, and everything else that goes along with that.
0: Yeah, but you're pretty modest, mate. Like, you're a veterinary nurse as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like fully trained. So come on, spill spill the guts here. There's a bit more to you than that. So you're basically an Auckland girl who has come into farming and I'd say grabbed it by both horns, both hands, and charged like you're a machine. So tell us a bit more. Come on, tell us a bit more.
1: Okay. So I started shepherding uh, when I was about 18 on a station near Tekapo. Uh, it didn't last a whole lot long length there. Um, the, it was a pretty interesting situation. Uh, from there went dairy farming, which was the whole reason I left the Waikato was that so I wouldn't go dairy farming and ended up dairy farming for a couple of years in Fairley in the McKinsey. Um, from there, ended up thinking that uh, I'd had enough of the unsociable hours, and went bit nursing. So ended up bit nursing and training while working in Geraldine, and then at the ripe old age of 21, got engaged, married at 22, first kid 23. Um, so sort of fast tracked life a little bit, and so that downtime around having a one-year-old, I started the Facebook group, Farming Mums NZ, which now has 16,000 women involved from around New Zealand. Um, that, that's sort of the catapult point into a whole world that I didn't know existed, uh, and it was around supporting, inspiring, and connecting rural women from across New Zealand and giving them a point of stability in an otherwise quite transient life. Uh, and, you know, there's not many other people that understand the ins and outs of what happens in rural living when, you know, your husband's potentially gone three months of the year during different busy periods and how to manage all that away from friends friends and family. So that went really well. And it ended up through there. I ended up doing leadership courses through Federated Farmers, Rural Women and the Calgary rural Leadership Course in 2016, as well as a bunch of probably really awful public speaking um, around the country for different events <laughs> um, which is, I can't, every time I do it, I'm like, why did I say yes? Uh, so yeah, that's where I've been since then. Then I, while doing Calibre, I also was doing, I overcommitted. That was how I learned what my limits were. I was also doing, had a a baby, a toddler, was uh, doing a contract for the New Zealand Landcare Trust, working with Grassroots Media, looking at that digital marketing space. And a couple of other things as well. Oh, the farm mums, yep, kids, Kellogg. So that was a bit of an intense period, Uh, wound back a little bit, but have stayed in and out of that sort of marketing space, which has been interesting, somewhere I never planned on being, but one that I often had people come back to me due to that farm mums connection and then the real-life rural connection because my husband is a sort of large-scale farm general manager on sheep, beef, deer properties, so that itself has kept me pretty uh, wrapped up in the rural life since day one. Um, and, yeah, that's what we're doing in Glenorchy as well. While I'm also running um, one business, have wrapped up a second, developing a property, bit of marketing, and, you know, trying to lift some weights and grow some veggies. <laughs> ah,
0: that's a lot. That's a list. But I know you, my friend, that list never stops. So now I've got a question for you that just um, – pique my curiosity. And I'd love it you to share it with the listeners as well, because I think there's a learning in it. <clears throat> why, why in the past were you an overcommitter? Or are you still an overcommitter?
1: My theory was say yes and work how to work out how to do it later. So I think I was in a time period of my life where there was a lot of offers being coming in. Like do this, do that, do you want to be involved with this? Do you want to be involved with that? And it was quite exciting. So I probably took on a lot and just said yes to everything. I think I was writing like a newspaper column at one point, and then it got to a point where I was like, "Crap, it's actually not possible to do quite this limit," and dropped a few things and backed off and started to realize that. But I think it was a really important learning to be able to hit your limit and then know it because it it changes your decision making in the future.
0: So, why why did you always feel you had to say yes?
1: Um, what is that? FOMO, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fear of missing out. I don't know. I. I was in such a unique space, like, and there was a lot of media coming out and it was painted as like young female farmer slash entrepreneur. And I was like, that's a cool title. Well, that sounds
0: cool. Yeah, I'll have that. I was
1: like, yep, let's roll with that. And, you know, I was saying, oh, can you fly here to speak at this AMP show? Can you come up and do this? Can you write this to me? I was just like, sure, sure, sure. Okay. Sounds fun. And it did sound fun and I did enjoy it, but it was definitely a case with two young kids and a busy working husband that, um, probably overdid it a little bit yeah
0: so how did that show up like that um lack of boundary setting if i could call it that like for you how did that show up
1: yeah i suppose i was pretty burnt out to the point where i was just like i just need to stop everything and sort of work out who i am and what i'm doing and why i'm doing these things um and yeah i think it took hitting the wall to be able to um better understand what i what I was getting myself into and how to refrain from that in the future. And now, you know, I did in the past, I've done, you know, a bit of an exploration around what is your why? And I think that I haven't looked at it lately, but coming back to that when you are getting asked to be involved with something, does it actually fit my interest and my boundaries and my why? Or does it just sound cool, but I'm going to get sick of it soon. So yeah, I think there's a new decision-making process when it comes to what I'm taking on. Thank God you said yes to this one. It's good. Because you know, we are
0: we are defined as much as what we say no to is what we say yes to, right? Now, Chanel, tell me, what did hitting the wall look like?
1: To be honest, I don't really remember. And that's probably a bit of um on purpose memory. I think I was just miserable, just just, you know, hit that wall, probably a bit depressed, a bit just lacking energy. Um mm and being unable to fulfill, well, I think I was probably still hitting those deadlines because I hate missing a deadline and I hate being late. So I was probably still doing it, but all the enjoyment had gone out of it. So I just, I just had enough. I was doing it because I had to, not because I wanted to. Um, and you know, that affects, that affects everyone in the family as well.
0: What about your health and your energy? No, not just your relationships, but about your sense of self and motivation, energy, health. What, how did that, um, I hope you don't mind me asking these questions.
1: Yeah, I know. To be honest, I've blocked so much of it out. I could, my memory is terrible as it is. Um, I think you start to get that probably a bit of that imposter syndrome about like, why am I even, why are these people even asking me these questions? I don't know. I'm just making it up. Do they not realize that? So you probably dive into a bit of self-doubt and you have to really work out um, and build that confidence back up again. Um, And I mean, but that's an ongoing thing. You know, every year it's like, shit, how did I get here? And why am I here? And Who's asking me and why do they want to know these things? So, yeah, it's 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 a process. It's a process, yeah.
0: I bet it is. It's a process for everyone, right? And, I mean, for for you, my friend, the reason I got you on here is I'd like to sort of peel it to this one is I reckon, I mean, what you've done with Farming Mums is bloody exceptional and the support and the inspiration and all the things that you put out there. Um, let's talk about burnout for rural women, agricultural women. Do you see a lot of it with the community? Um, Because I think, as we know, agricultural women, rural women, uh, often devalued, dismissed, uh, undervalued, underappreciated for their role. And obviously there's some really good work being done by rural women organisations like we talked about with AWDT, Dairy Women's Network, uh, Rural Women's New Zealand. Do you see the burnout? Is it, you know, where is it? Why, Why are... I'll make a huge assumption here. But why Why is that? Are, are all rural women overcommitted because they're having to compensate and fill too many hats? What's going on? What do you say?
1: Yeah, I think the term burnout, <clears throat> I don't hear it used too much in terms of the rural women's space, whether that's a, just a conversational type thing. But I think that like, what we identified was that the women were having to create find a lot of strength to be able to prop up a farmer that's going through the roller coaster of emotions that comes with, you know, finances and payouts and weather events and seasonal type things that the woman would often have to overcompensate and be extremely awesome to, to be able to manage that out the other side, and whether it's burnout, but a lot of them, you know, it's just that like, I'm I've had enough. I'm sick of this lifestyle. I hate where I am. Uh, my husband doesn't understand. And more sitting, perhaps, in that depressive state of going look this is just not what i signed up for um and whereas on the flip side the burnout thing i'm seeing more in men and farmers you don't Mm -hmm. see it talked about very openly but it's really interesting when you start opening up those conversations one-on-one and i feel like more male farmers have or are suffering with burnout more than i ever imagined and that's something that, you know, once you bring it up in conversation and create some trust in that conversation, you all of a sudden get, everything opens up and it's and it could be, you know, historical, quite often historical, but for men, just burnout and absolute crashing because of that stigma around, you know, farmers are tough. We can do anything. We can adapt. We'll be fine. Not resting, not taking holidays, almost as like an ego trip or a, or not a purposeful ego trip, but that is the. Sense of self farmers. Yeah. That's what we've been told that farmers are. So yeah, for, for the women in this space, I think it's more just like you either love and you thrive in this environment being in that space, which I think I took that pressure and applied it across my life for good. Most of the time, or it really gets you down and you sit more into that depressive state of having to hold everything together it's it's really interesting. And that's very generalized. Um, but, you know, when you're on the farming mums group, you know, that many women in one room, you start to see the, when the, where the undercurrents form and where the same discussions happen. And a lot of it is relationship-based, which, you know, when you start to understand the pressures on both sides, it does make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, 100%. So if it's not burnout, what's the language that you see rural women are using? Because, again, you're being super humble, but I think often – I mean, there's been a lot of discussion, well documented. The Doug Avery's, the Sir John Kerwins on mental wellbeing for rural men and stop being a bloody tough bastard stoic and an island and let some people in and drop your guard down. And you know, there's some really good being, work being done in that space. So why why do rural women not burn out? And what do they what 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 are the patterns that you see instead or the language that they're using?
1: I think it's more. Yeah, I, I picture burnout as in like hitting a wall, can't get out of bed. Hitting like a wall. Like that's where I'm thinking burnout is. And if I think about a rural woman, often, most time, more often than not, they can't do that. Even if they feel it or they want to, they have to get up because no one else is coming to help them. Their parents might live in a different island. Their friends are far away. Their husband has to get out for work um, and has to get out because you've got animals to rely on you. Perhaps that's the difference is that physically you can't just stay in bed because there's no one to come and pick up the pieces for you. And perhaps that's where more the depression and anxiety come into it because you just, instead of crashing, you're just like surviving at a low level rather Mm. than having to, you know, really hit the deck. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's part of it.
0: Yeah, good Um, answer. So how do you welcome rural companies that reduce friction and make it easy for you to work with them. Like give me some good, give me some bad examples. You can either mention names or not, but like for the listeners here, the intent of my question, the underlying drive of the question is I think a lot of businesses make it really fucking hard to work with them. And we have to jump so many hoops and look forms and application forms, everything else. But knowing how busy, Rural women are with the drain. It's it's like an iceberg, right? There's the top stuff, and there's all the waterline stuff, like the kids and the appointments and the mm. <clears throat> school events and the field days and the field trips, and it just it on and on and on and on. And on. As you know, this as a, as a working mum, as an entrepreneur, and someone who's very very busy. Do you welcome, and does the community that you you work so hard with, do they welcome rural companies that you know understand them and make it easy for them to work with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, even down to the most basic things is if I have to print out a form and fill it out and scan it and send it back, it's probably not going to happen. hundred (laughs) percent. Like just the basic stuff like that. Like if I can fill it out on my phone because it's an editable, editable PDF because everyone needs forms constantly.
0: Constant. You know,
1: that's just those tiny little changes. Uh, means so much, especially in a day and age where all of that can be done without even thinking about it. And then, you know, we've talked about also before, you know, the role of a woman on the farm and where that sits compared to perhaps the man and how uh, a lot of rural companies perhaps dismiss the influence and the involvement that women have in these farming processes and decisions and taking that into account Um when interactions are had as well, because over the years, there has been, I'm going to say hundreds, if not thousands of comments in times where a rep or a farming business has gone to the house and said, can I see your husband? Wow. And like that, like if they don't hit the deck after that, they're doing well (laughs) because, um, that's, you know, you could at least be polite enough to say like, who should I speak to or introduce yourself and start the conversation. And then the wife can potentially go oh I'll go get my husband rather than embarrass yourself to begin with and then straight away shitty relationship probably not going to come back from that so it's yeah. just all those little things i mean we were talking about this 10 years ago you know it, but it's it is still happening and it's yeah it's pretty poor form these days i think
0: i think poor form is a very polite way of putting it uh, <laughs> i'd say it's, i'd say it's fucking disgraceful because we know that the rural women of that farming household are often joint equity partners. Mm. They're usually the CEO or the CFO or the CEO, all those things combined. Mm. And guess what? They're the ones standing over the bin, opening all those direct mail and, you know, yeah. cellophane wrapped. Um, uh, I'm going to be really provocative here. Shit that folds, yeah. um, which is the majority of direct marketing in rural. Um, yeah. And uh, they're the gatekeeper. And if you're not given that due respect and you know you don't need to patter around you it's like yeah. don't make the assumption and I think I see a lot of rural reps unfortunately they're male power and style and they're usually not the best performers uh, there's not all of them but some of them
1: it was only make, last they, week make the assumption that, yeah that the women who are in these spaces that are reps are doing so much better bringing so much more sales and so much more returns when a female rep goes up to the farm has a conversation with the wife has a conversation. Conversation with the husband. This is generally speaking, just from a conversation I had. They're walking away with better sales and better returns than the sale pal mal
0: Tell me why. <laughs> tell me sales. why. I know the answer, but tell me why for the listeners.
1: I think it, oh, it is a good question. I think you, there's a lot of angles to look at this. Um, but I think if you walk in and you're you make a good impression and you're friendly with the wife, if that's who you're first coming into contact with then you're going to get brownie points immediately. And also if you're speaking and being relatable and being honest and you know your stuff, you know, all of those things, I think perhaps you might gain more respect in the agri space as a female, if you know that, that side of things. Yeah. I don't know what, what's your
0: assumptions and thoughts. I love it. I love it. When my guests start throwing questions at me and then, yeah. then start going, <laughs> okay, you take the show. No, no, it's good. It's good. It's kind <laughs> of, of intelligent mind. Um, it's for me. It's quite simple. They, they're very high on their emotional intelligence, and generally, women are much higher on that. You know, you think about the way that you you you're with your friends and you support networks and everything else. And again, not not to be sexist or generalising, because there is a few blokes that can do this pretty well as well that I know. Um, present company excluded, of course, is this empathy and empathy being a sales superpower and that relatability and that empathy around understanding. And, you know, as I say, you need to walk a mile in someone else's shoes sometimes or a day in their life. So if you hay, say you had a female feed rep or dairy hygiene, dairy product rep or chemical rep or agronomist, or something else, they probably got a good insight into how your world is. So immediately they're going to add credibility and relatability and empathy because they've walked in your shoes and they know the pressures that you're under, you know, that you haven't got much time to muck around. I mean, for me some of the rural women that we work with or contract in our business, they are some of the most efficient and effective workers because they get shit done real fast yeah. and they don't muck yeah. around.
1: Well, And it's the same that goes with mothers, right? We have like six hours during the day and we will work double speed if we need to, to get it done so that we can clock off early. And, I've, you know, I've heard that a lot, employer mother, because she knows how to get shit done and she'll get it done good and she'll get it done fast.
0: <laughs> um, I was, I, I'm, exactly. I mean, I was working just as a personal antidote, personal like, I was working with and my wife yesterday and she's helping us doing some media and press releases for a client. And then I was walking to the gym and I often do my calls walking to the gym because I'm a time management freak, right? Because I know it's cooking for me to talk to someone. And I phone her up and she goes, I haven't got time to talk to you. I haven't got time to talk to you. Just send me an email, send yeah. me a text. This is my own wife. Yeah. Um, so, my yeah, cool. I something
1: yesterday? Can you go and check on this when you got some time? I was like, no, not today. I'm like back to back to back. Like maybe tonight if I remember. Or have a look yeah. when
0: you get home. <laughs> yeah. I I too, one of the biggest breakthroughs we've had in our family is the Google Calendar. Yeah. The shared Google Calendar. It works because we always say it's if it's best. not in the diary, it doesn't get done. It's the best. Yeah. Exactly. If it's so, not in the
1: diary, it doesn't exist. It's <clears> not
0: a If thing. it's not in the diary, it does not <laughs> exist. Like, was it in the diary? And then we have to all then argue about who accepted it and when we got it. But anyway, that's a story for another yes. day, right? And this this could get awkward. So back to you and Chanel and Tim I mean I, you know, again, I've had the privilege, um of training many, many sales teams. And I see a lot of female rural sales reps. I hate the word reps because I think it does them a disservice because mm. we should all aspire to be rural sales professionals like anyone in any yeah. any field. But I often see a lot of rural women reps low on confidence. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, uh, to put that aside for one second, just coming back to the other thought, I think that a lot of rural women in the rep space have come from an agri background and that's where they get their strength from. In Good. And then lacking confidence. I think, I think a big part of that is probably still, we're playing in a man's game or that fear, whether it's true or not, we feel like we're playing in a man's game so that we're not going to be taken seriously. Uh, and perhaps not going to have that. Like a woman has to work twice as hard to gain the same respect in this industry 100%. and have twice as 100%. much knowledge. Cause I feel like over the years I've gone to conferences and stuff and, It's been around topics that I'm really interested in. And when I'm interested in something, I deep dive and learn everything about it. And quite often you can, you almost get that double take when you can actually hold that conversation and take it on. Um, And that's, that's what I've said to my husband in the past. Look, you can go in there and no script, like, and you're going to get the same respect as what I would if I knew twice as much. Mm. Um, And that's, I think that's still a reality. Uh, I think it's shifting, but there's still that, you know, bred in feeling of how it's been for the past 100 years.
0: Tell me, very insightful listeners, I hope you're taking note of that, you know, the fact that women have to work twice as hard to get the same respect as men, and this is not not an anti-men broadcast here by any means. I'm sure Chanel loves the men in life just as much as we all do, but, like, it's more around, you're right, female sales reps are playing in a man's land, a man's Mm -hmm. game, as you say, Tell me about the self-narrative that you hear in farming mums, you know, because some of them will obviously be mums, which is a bloody profession in itself, which is often undervalued and undercompensated, just saying. Um, but, like, those that are professionally working as well that you'll have in the group, what is the self-narrative? What are the stories that you hear? You don't have to use actual physical names and real names, but, like, what are the patterns you see with that um, that complaint around being, um, you yeah, know, having to work twice as hard to get the respect mm. that men do?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the time, you know, women in this farming mum space, like they they either are full-time on the farm physically working or they take themselves completely away from it because they're not willing to get involved and they'll work in town and do other things to sort of avoid this space altogether. But, but yeah, it's definitely a conversation that I, we've had over the years and even, like, perhaps it's when you're first getting into the industry you feel that and confidence builds as you go through. Um but, yeah, it's, it's definitely a discussion I think I should bring up on there and just see if that's still a feeling that um, everyone can resonate with, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, for me, you know, I'm not the first because I'm not very brainy, but, like, everything I've read, everything I've coached, everything I've seen is that we know that empathy is a sales superpower. Being able to connect with people, relatable on a one-on-one, just so that you validate it. Women have got that in spades and yet they still sometimes struggle to ask for the sale. Mm. Yeah. What do you think that is?
1: I feel like oh, I'm relating this back to what we we spoke just briefly about yeah, this around exactly. time. I feel like I'm really shitty at sales because I don't <laughs> like forcing myself and forcing my beliefs or desires or knowledge onto others because I feel like if they wanted that, they would come and find it. <laughs> it's really bad. I know sales is not my forte. Like, I can do the pretty pictures and the words, but when it comes to hard sales, like that's something that I just don't feel myself even that I have a whole lot of confidence on unless I was like, it changed my life and it was awesome. I will happily go and share that message. But you know, if it's not something that someone needs in their life to make it 10 times better, then it's tricky. I think we re- but perhaps as females we really, really, really need to believe in the product to be willing to push it and sell it. Whereas I can't really say men in general, but you know, as some people would rather, you know, they're on a commission, they're wanting to sell because they're wanting to sell, they've got shit to sell. Whereas I'm more like I want to make sure that it's going to benefit your life and you're not wasting money on something that you don't need. Um, I'm not sure if that's an that's just me or a bit of a generalized thing, but. I don't want to sell you something that you don't need. And that's perhaps where the empathy and EQ comes into it. Like, I'm not going to push something on you.
0: Mm. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's a bit to unpack there because we had the privilege of having a little chat beforehand. And that unease that a lot of women feel, I think, in selling is a, exactly what you're talking about, is that unease and uncomfortability of, and what we call they don't have that buoyancy of belief. Like Mm. because you guys go deeper, you really want to know this product because you're not going to sell something to someone that isn't going to work because it's your reputation, there's values, there's integrity, there's ethics, there's moral code, all those sort of things. Whereas some blokes are like hunters and they go, I've just got to fucking sell this so I can make some Mm. commission and buy the boat, buy the jet ski, you know, pay for the batch, whatever they're doing. And then we fall into these roles of like hunter, farmer, male, female, farmer, you know, not selling and and the guys out there doing the thing unpacking that a bit more is i think ultimately i know that and you've said this beautifully is if you believe in your product it's your moral duty to sell it Mm. so if you know your product can improve the condition of your client by three times five times ten times whatever happens to be if you know and you've got the stories yeah there's a trick to
1: implement that i'm like Your time in the seat of the tractor will be halved, your yield, your income will go up. Um, It will make your life easier and more enjoyable. Hell yeah, I'm going to make sure that I lay out every, you know, the cost-benefit analysis of that and your return on investment and make sure that you invest in that. But if I'm like, oh, if it's same-same to what you've already got but it's just a different brand or it's a bit newer it's an upgrade and a bit prettier, you know, that's where I'd be like, oh, what you've got is actually all right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just off. Like, don't. no one would want to employ me in sales because I'd be such a, um, I'd be so unreliable. <laughs> you,
0: we are all in the business of selling. I'm sure you've had to sell your children to get ready this morning, get to school, make the lunches. There's certainly a lot of selling going on in the Craner household <laughs> this morning with uh, some rather loud noise and, and yelling at the same time. I think the point here, which is, I think, really important for the listeners, is for anyone that's managing sales teams, men or women, if you don't, sell yourself and the business to your salespeople you won't make any sales yes because you've got to have you live in a sea of rejection where you're going to get a ton of no's you're going to probably get nine no's to one yes mm. maybe you'll get three yeses to seven no's depending on the marketing machine that's behind you how you pre-qualify your pipeline and funnel, on all that jazz that we haven't got time to get into today but If you're not selling yourselves to your sales team, if you're not selling your product service to your sales team, how the hell can you expect them to sell to the customer, right?
1: Yeah, you need full belief, full understanding and full backing of the product that you're selling. And perhaps that is the difference with the female is that they need to believe in it 100% or they're not going to be as convincing or as dedicated to the cause as you need them to be. Hundred
0: percent, because you go deeper, right? Like you imagine the conversation. If I hear my wife talking to a friend on the phone or a mum, it goes so much deeper. Whereas me or Dave, your hubby, we're just having superficial chats, fairly shallow chats. Mm-hmm. And or certainly yeah. with me, and I have to say, the older I get, the more I want a deeper conversation because yeah. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to talk about weather and grass growth and stuff like. That. I want to talk about what books you've been reading, what's challenging, yeah. who's in, what influence, what insights. Like you know, pile of books behind me. I want to have intelligent conversations with people. Women have been doing this since day dot, right? They go deep and they give a shit. And that's probably why they're better at sales. But the thing is, if you don't go deep with the women in your rural sales team and understand and get them to have confidence, and I think also the other thing that will really, really sell the women in your sales team on the product that you're selling or the service you are selling is sell them on the customer success stories, the testimonies, the case studies, Mm -hmm. the proof. I'm not talking about trial data and fancy, you know, um, eye candy on a on a forage mm. index. I'm talking about there's a real life situation where a farmer and the family bought this product or did the service, and it was a game changer for them. Yeah, I'd even be
1: inclined to say, like, can I talk to someone who's bought this product so I can learn a little bit more about it and answer the the real life questions, not the technical details that you've been taught.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's the same with CRM systems, right? Sales teams. Um, uh, repel using CRM systems, mainly in the main because they worry about Big Brother and watching over and we've blogged about this. But it's the same principle. If you don't sell your sales team on a CRM system and the reward that they get in terms of reporting from all the recording that they make, Mm. which they feel might be a waste of their bloody time because they've got more shit to sell and it's just slowing them down. Mm. The whole thing is we don't sell very well to our sales teams, do we?
1: Yeah, and it's what falls out the back of that. That's what, what where the value is, isn't
0: it? Yeah, so unpack, tell me more about that.
1: To be honest, I haven't been hugely involved in that sort of space um, uh, as much as I could be. But, yeah, customer, yeah.
0: Well, tell me, tell me, let me help you. Tell me about your role at the moment. So you're working with Figured. You're doing some mm. marketing for them. It's many, one of many hats you wear, and Dave Dodds and all the good dudes for that team. Making big differences to businesses, whether it's a Pharmax, a Figure, to Farm IQ. Um, are you sort of like when you took on that role? Because you wouldn't take on that role willy nilly, you must have said, This product obviously makes a difference.
1: Yeah, so what was quite funny is that uh, for my Kellogg topic, my initial topic Oh that my I had God, chosen... you're, taking,
0: you're taking me back to industry projects, Chanel. I was almost divorced after that one.
1: Yeah, so I, I started mine. Traumatic. Is... Yeah, total farm management technology was what is the barriers to uptake. And that was my gonna be my study topic. And I was talking with um, is it Collier Isaacs, farm IQ at yeah, the time?
0: Yeah, Collier. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, dude. So
1: I was like, that that fascinates me because I think that what you don't know, you can't fix, you can't better, you Great. can't improve. Well, you can't and, manage
0: you can't manage. Yep.
1: Oh, it it was honestly what my favorite topic at the time and I sort of split I ended up splitting off of that and probably shouldn't have, but that's where the interest came for me for Figured is that I actually understand the value that these products and these systems can add to a farmer's productivity, to their life, to their streamlining. And especially like I'm someone who doesn't enjoy doing finances myself. So I'm like, there's going to be a lot of other people in that space that don't even want to think about it. And if a lot of this is automated and done and well, the accountant manages it and you can just have a look and see where you're at, you know, it's going to change everything, especially in a, such a volatile space where, you know, interest rates and lending and income and outgoings are all so wild and so variable and so changeable. Now more than ever, you really like your whole business, everything rests on your ability to balance your ingoings and outgoings. And that, that kind of thing, as geeky as it is, it kind of excites me because I'm like, this is this is so important. This could be the difference between you losing a farm and keeping a farm because you know where your finances are at. 100%. And you know, you know where the – and then we go into, like, the Farm IQ type systems and, you know, you know where the animals have be. You know where the fertiliser's been. You know what's been sown when and how it was last year and the rainfall and predictions. And that's – I mean, there are still farmers doing a great job not knowing all of this stuff or not recording it day to day. But I think to make, remain – relevant and innovative and the, an early mover in the agricultural space at all, especially now when shit's gone crazy. Um, <laughs>
0: having yeah, that data gone. and information
1: in front of you is possibly going to be what determines whether you continue farming within the next 10 years.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, the input costs are just crazy. What, what's, uh, what's your a ton now, 1,400 NZ.
1: Yeah, I think it, someone mentioned 1600 the other day, but it could be 14. Yep. So it's,
0: tripped, it's tripped up. It's probably 1600 now by the time. That's where my regenerative
1: like, space of agriculture comes in.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. And there's yeah. a lot to talk about there. We might might get you back to talk about that at some point along with others. But um, so, Chanel, I want to sort of like finish off talking around we talked a lot about how salespeople should be approaching rural women and recognizing their rural role and their, their significant influence in the farming household. Um, we've also talked about marketing companies and making it easy. And you just gave the simple example of, you know, make it a pre-populated editable PDF I can do on my phone, you know, make it predictive. So I type in, you know, Glen Orkey and you, you put in the RD1 address mm-hmm. and it finds you like you know, make it easy because you literally have those snatch moments of time, don't you? Literally while you're sitting waiting for the kids to collect them yeah. in school or wait for the bus to come to the driveway. What about, uh, What advice would you have? for sales managers, marketing managers, rural companies listening to this podcast as a well-known, well-respected female entrepreneur that knows a shit, um, what do they need to be doing more of and what do they need to be doing less of?
1: I think they need to be more human to human. I think we're at risk of following the algorithms and making the pretty pictures and doing what we think is right because that's what other businesses are doing. But ultimately, humans just sell to humans and humans, listen to humans. And I think there's a lot of, you know, everywhere around the world, we're really stepping away from that space. And we're trying to, in a world where AI is possibly going to dominate in the future, all we've got is that human connection. So be real, don't be robotic. And, you know, and even you'll know yourself any time on any marketing that you do, especially on digital where you can monitor and track that. If it's got humans relatable faces and people in it, that always does 10 times better than anything that's just a bit of text or a shot with no context. Um, so I would say don't don't let go of your human aspects and really capitalize on farmers, staff, show that you are relatable, show that you're on a road trip, take photos as you go, talk to the camera, like have fun because I I, I relate best to someone who's funny and has fun. And I think a lot of people need to ask themselves, what do you like to see? What do I like to see? Because then you create something a bit more relatable than following a brief, you know?
0: Mm. hundred oh, percent. I mean, I think there's a ton of stuff in there. I was just trying to think of, uh, is it Tagaroa walker down your yep. way, the dairy yep. farmer? He's, he's great. He's the energy of that guy is like amazing. Yep. And think what he's done for his people and setting example and inspiration to people want to get a dairy farm. Like he's, yep. he's awesome. And um, I think that we
1: shouldn't discount the, uh, the message of that influencer. And I don't mean social media influencer. These are my high heels. I mean like using real life farmers and people to be an influencer on behalf of your company and mm. not undermining or not um, understanding the value in that because that farmer to farmer sales is where it matters.
0: I tell you, um, I'm going to shout someone out, not that they're a client or anything else. Just I'm just going to shout out the good stuff because I think it's really important to reward the good stuff. Uh, have you seen those halter Facebook ads with the testimonials, the farmer testimonials? Yeah, I have. What do you think of them?
1: I saw one the other day. Um, I need to refresh myself. I remember talking about this recently.
0: They, I too, you while you're looking for it, because I use mean, a lot on, is I saw it. And they showed a young lady who must be the farm manager or or, or milk or anything else are the fenceless cows. And obviously there's lots of companies that do this. You know, you've got MSD, uh, animal health, all flex, they're all some really good systems out there, fenceless farms and veils. I I don't give credit unless it's due, because otherwise I think it's like, you know, it's it's not it's not genuine praise, yeah. like you know, it's petty praise. But I actually sent a note to Halter and said, those testimonials are top notch because they're so relatable mm. they weren't filmed in a really polished way there were five fucking directors and account yep. directors and a director for photography and all these guys from Auckland with a caravan and makeup artists and all that kind of bullshit um they were just really real yeah and I just thought having a look, did, I see
1: the one that I watched the other day and yeah and they, it's I there is you know the first four rows are males but then there's a female here Sarah Wilson. And yeah, I could, Mm. I would imagine that if you went back and looked at those analytics, it'd be really interesting to see her engagement rate compared to the blokes. Not saying that it will be vastly different, but I would be curious as my, you know, the rate of females on Facebook and just in general is higher than males. And it would be quite interesting to see if she got any more attention just as an example. Yeah. 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 I did watch one of them the other day and it was great. It was a great example. That's that. A farmer, farmers sell to farmers, farmers learn from farmers. That's where the respect and the mutual understanding and trust is.
0: That's why we say, that's why we talk about alpha farmers. And we also talk about word of which mouths as opposed to word of mouths because not every mouth is created equal, right? So, hey, Chanel, you've been um, an absolute gen. Uh, You've given us a ton of value here. I love this human-based selling advice that you're giving here. Just another couple of questions before we go, because I know you've got some good uh, good areas on this. A lot of rural marketers say to me, uh, do we need to be across everything? Like do we need to be across TikTok and Snapchat and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and everything else? What's your advice to them?
1: Um, I would say understand your market because if you understand your market, you'll know where they play, and then you've got to be where they are. So for me, that and I think that's the key. Like we could say go and be across everything or – you know, my space and generation in my 30s is probably like Instagram number one, Facebook number two, Twitter doesn't exist because I don't have enough, I can't fit what I want to say into that shorter characters. Um, Never have been. So those would be my top ones. Whereas, you know, looking something TikTok has replaced all of those in that, you know, teenage to 20, perhaps 25 year old space. So it's not a case of being over everything. It's a case of being where you're your eyes are where the people
0: that you want to affect are definitely that is that is such solid advice and i think that's a really good place to stop because you've given us a ton of a ton of value there chanel um hey mate i really appreciate you coming on the show and making time for us pleasure easy um <laughs> yeah and i've really enjoyed the yarn around rural women and and hopefully giving some rural sales and marketing teams some really good insights here into um you and your insights and what you think and you know what you've quickly picked up um as a girl from Auckland from a lady from Auckland that's now you know full full ag full steam um Chanel how do people get hold of you if they want to get hold of you and have a chat or reach yeah. out obviously there's farming mum's Facebook page but who how do they follow you get in touch with you or someone's listeners go oh I want to talk to Chanel and I want to pick a brains where do they yeah. get hold of you
1: so um I'm really active on Instagram or, uh, as in like sh- at Chanel O'Sullivan, um, otherwise Chanel at borage and com, which is, um, my business, but yeah, I'm pretty easy to find online, I think. And also if, if any sales and marketing folk in this rural space want to have a little bit more understanding about who they're trying to affect, you know, join the Facebook group, join the farming moms, Facebook group, because, you know, we don't necessarily <laughs> encourage advertising, but just watching you'll You'll learn a hell of a lot really quickly about truly what's going on in this space because we can say and we can think what we want, but this is you know we've had up to a hundred posts a day at peak times. this is where people are pretty raw um and it's a good way to get an insight as to where the industry really is on the ground.
0: it's so kind of you, and I'll include that link to the Facebook group in um in the show notes I, again, I think you've served listeners very well here because you'll be surprised how many marketers don't understand their market Mm. and you have to immerse yourself. And as you write, I know you'll have very strict rules on that. You're not going to let everyone know. But if they want to be respectful and listen and learn and look for patterns and be positive contributors, then I'm sure they're very welcome, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Chanel. Been a pleasure. It's been too long, my friend. Um, Far too long since industry products and industry uh, Kellogg's and all the stuff. So um, i better come and buy you a beer or, or vino when I next see you down south.
1: Yeah, come to Queenstown. It's awesome. a place to be. It's a place where there's awesome. no pollen like up you your ways in the North Island that apparently I'm allergic to, which is why I'm all nasally.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you must be just you must be allergic to the North Island. Maybe that's what it is.
1: I think so. Yeah, all the people, too many people probably.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're becoming more reclusive. Quality actually, <laughs> <right?
1: laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: Awesome, Chanel. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it.
1: Pleasure. See you again soon.